Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Let's hear God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do, not know, you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for, except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. The teacher, we're going to take her young class to the Statue of Liberty, could begin by telling the kids what they're going to see, not just what it represents, but actually what it looks like. So it's a statue. It's quite tall. Kids may ask, well, how tall? Is it as tall as the Empire State Building? Maybe not that tall, but kind of like that. It's what color is it? It's green. It's kind of a woman wearing a robe, lifting up a torch. You know, most kids could picture it enough so that if you get to the lower tip of Manhattan and look out and say, do you see the Statue of Liberty? Well, you know, it's, that's Governor's Island. That's Brooklyn. That's likely the Statue of Liberty, the, the, the tall, robed woman with the, uh, the torch. Um, but, you know, the way kids are, you know, years later, if you asked them what they were actually picturing when you described it, somebody might say, well, as soon as you said it was green, I was picturing Shrek and I was looking for, you know, something different. And so, so the description would be accurate. And, and once you see it, it would be there. But, but it is interesting how we sometimes have to describe things. Uh, so if you, there's many a, an American tourist in Copenhagen who has heard of a very famous statue they have here, there, the Little Mermaid. And Americans go to the fence and they look for it and they can't find it. Uh, they've got a description of it. They maybe saw a photo of it, but the photo, they didn't realize the scale that the word little and little mermaid 
uh, was, so then they look down and then there's the classic American, that's it. We came all this way out of the city for this little statue. I mean, they're, they're forthright in the, uh, the naming of the statue, what to expect. But for us, if it's a statue worth coming to, we should see it. And so sometimes there's a disconnect between our understanding. Even if we've seen it, we've heard it described. We don't always know what's going on, but, but that's how we function. Some years ago, there was a, a, a member of our church was a PhD student in the math department at Columbia. And we were at a dinner and somebody was asking him about his research. And he was trying to describe what he does in pure math. Uh, and it was very interesting. This was a, a pretty bright group who had no idea in the slightest what he was talking about. And so, you know, you've got some equation that you're solving and no, there's no equation. So what are you doing with numbers? There's no numbers. Uh, but this is math. So he's dealing with, with shapes. So you're, are you in the design department? No, I'm in the math department. And uh, after a while, it was like, Wonderful. So there was, you know, on Netflix, there was, so people, you know, just got as much as he could. He was trying to describe it. And he was talking about something that bright people just, it was something they couldn't quite put their fingers on. It was a different, different kind of interaction. So here's Jesus with Nicodemus. And as he tells the story and John recounts it, he's helping us with what Jesus refers to as earthly things, things that we see, things that we know. There's actually an awful lot in one conversation. So there's light and darkness, and that's how John begins. Jesus is the light. Well, he's actually the life, but that life is the light of humankind. There's something there that understanding life, as he's talking about it, is throughout the whole gospel, light and darkness are, are helpful in understanding that, but it's not the only way to understand that. So he talks about light with Nicodemus and darkness. He talks about wind. He talks about a snake. He talks about birth. He's, he's using things that, that, we can, that we can grasp, but he's describing something at the end where he's saying, and yet, in speaking to you about heavenly things, uh, I don't know that you're going to understand what I'm talking about. It's not a futile conversation. This is left for us. It's very valuable. But we're in a series in John where we're calling it Come, See, Live, just because there's this constant invitation in John. Uh, you know, the disciples, come and see this person. We're going to see that again in John 4. Uh, there's this invitation, come and, and look at Jesus, listen to him, think about him. And John tells us in the end that if you actually see the signs that he does, a sign points, God is, is calling your direction somewhere to some reality, if you see that sign and understand it and believe you will have life. And so this is invitation. God is going to show us things. Come and see and you'll have life. And, and in the first extended dialogue that we have now, we're in a, moving into Jesus's ministry and you have this long dialogue with Nicodemus. It sounds like he's saying, but you actually won't come. <laughs> you're going to stay away. And if you do come, you're not going to see. And so what are the implications of that? If you need to come and see so that you could believe and through believing have life, if, if we won't come, if we won't see what's going on. And, and this is actually important. It's, it's a challenging passage. It's hard to understand. And there are all sorts of difficult things in it, maybe offensive things, challenging things, but things that are hard to grasp. But one of the things that we're encountering is actually human problems are far deeper than we, we really understand. Things are more complex. And Jesus has, a, has an anthropology, a view of humanity here 
that, that is not necessarily hopeful, but the Christian message is far better than we could imagine. And so somehow in this encounter, whatever we're to learn, we could at least see those things, that, that things are, are hard, difficult, where we need a lot of help, we're stuck. But on the other hand, things are offered to us that are really good. And so what I want to talk about today is three things, culpability, inability, and possibility. Culpability, uh, we're not going to come, and there are problematic reasons we don't. Inability, if we wanted to come, we, we have trouble seeing, we can't grasp it. But possibility, life is actually still possible, despite these things being true. The message of Christianity is good news. And so I'm beginning with culpability. So Jesus's message here is encounter with Nicodemus. He's highlighting that Nicodemus doesn't really, for all of his learning, for all of his understanding, for all of his formation and discipline, Nicodemus is still not really going to understand what Jesus has come to do. And Jesus's message is a positive message. He comes to give life. But in that, there are these troubling words, a word like condemnation. That's not very positive. Jesus says, I have not come to condemn. Well, that's good. He's come to give life. But his assumption that condemnation is part of a reality, that then, that's discomforting. What is he getting at? And so he, he um, speaks in verses 19 and 20, using the language of judgment. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so light in John is highlighting a number of things, but here's this idea that, that Jesus comes to us and, and he's so truthful and warm and gracious and honorable and upright. We should be drawn to him as so many were, and yet an interaction, an encounter like Nicodemus had makes him maybe want to go away. The important uh, note here is in the description, Nicodemus comes at night. It's a way of John telling the story that comes up again in John 20. Nicodemus is remembered as the one who came to Jesus at night. That's an important hint of what's happening here as the story is being told. That Jesus is saying, well, you're coming to me because you, you recognize the work of God in me and you presumably want that. There's something in drawing near to God that actually at some point is going to make you want to shrink back. And so Jesus is dealing with that. He hasn't come to, come to condemn. But there's a judgment that that we're self-condemning. <laughs> we condemn others. There's, there's a, a, a culture of condemnation that, that is overall of humanity, and we're not able to get out of it. Jesus is saying, I've not come to condemn. I've come to be present, but, but my very presence, given who I am, is exposing, and therefore, truth is bringing certain things to light. And so, uh, in verse 18, he says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's a, a hard teaching. Basically, and at this point, he's new. No, who believes at this point? He's basically saying, I'm not coming to tell you I'm condemning you. I'm coming to invite you to life. But you're already revealing that, that there are these deep problems. Rather than rejoicing, or you'll rejoice until the novelty wears off. So Jesus tells the parable of the sower. You could read this elsewhere. Some people are just not interested. It's not interesting. Other people are excited, but then the excitement wears off. Other people, I want to do it, but now it's hard. Where I'm doing it, it's hard, but there's something else. And so Jesus is saying there's actually a, a real difficulty here, and yet he's coming into it. And, and so, so why do we 
dislike the light. It's this, this weird thing in us that one of the words that we use is ego. Um, the ego wants to be seen, but we want to be seen to be admired, but we don't want to be seen to not be admired. And so there's this weird thing in all of us that we want to call attention to ourselves, and yet we're dealing with hiding our flaws. And so the result is often hypocrisy. We, the best we could do is come up with a great exterior and kind of sweep the interior under the rug. And Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not coming to help that. I'm coming actually to deal with that. And so my coming into the world is exposing that reality because the more I come to you with truth and grace and light, um, the more anxious you might get. Oh no, what will be seen? And, and so, so the complexity of human beings, I'll, I'll use an example of, of a thief. Here he's talking about people's deeds are, are, are evil and we don't want to get caught. You know, somebody commits a crime, that's an example of not wanting to be caught. Now, why, why do thieves steal? Well, maybe the two obvious things. One is, well, somebody is just economically unable to sustain themselves and they're trying to take care of themselves. And that's one, one narrative. The other is something like our motives, greed. A person's just greedy. Um, you know, but individual stories could often be different. So, so here, here's one hypothetical example of just how desire plays itself out where, where, where a thief is not necessarily this greedy, evil person, but winds up making, a, making poor choices. You know, you could have somebody that has a couple of desires that are on their own good desires. They're, they're not problematic desires, but, but maybe, maybe there's a problem in there or maybe those desires are ruling that person so it becomes problematic. But the desire for freedom and independence is a good desire. The problem with work is you have to conform to other schedules and patterns. And so some people might say, I would actually rather just have my own free time and, and have a simpler life rather than having to show up when somebody else tells me to show up. And so, so the immediate aversion some of us have to, to not wanting to be boxed into a schedule, not necessarily problematic selfish, but um, it could be problematic if it means that you don't wind up working. So you have another value of I like comfort. I like ease, I like a leisurely life. Well, that's good, I like that too. Um, but if the desire is actually, rather than having to conform to a schedule, I'd like to kind of stay home and have a big fancy TV and sit in a nice comfortable couch and I'll scale back by having off-brand snacks. And so, you know, you have to be realistic here, you can't have everything. But actually that, uh, that couch is kind of expensive and, and uh, therefore if I don't actually want to conform to the system, I need money somehow. So. There are all sorts of things you'd like to do. Um, but at that point, if you could get away with one big heist, you know, rob a bank, and it, you know, look at the banks have all this money. Uh, there's a lot that you could be said about how maybe they're probably not paying their workers right and the system is, is maybe not entirely fair. You could be justified thinking just, you know, if I could land 50 grand, um, that would set me up for quite a while. It doesn't feel like greed, it doesn't feel like anything, but you could, you could see the logic, but, but the interesting thing of our competing desires, if you desire freedom and comfort, a plan that could involve uh, getting arrested and imprisoned is not necessarily going to meet your goals. And then so sometimes it's just pride to think, I, I desire this so much I can't imagine getting caught. Um, I want it so much I'll take the risk. Some people are actually clever enough to come up with a plan. And so that happens. It's one thing to, you know, to mug somebody for a wallet, but to, to get away with the bank heist, you have to have a, a certain, certain ability there. And so people do it, pull it off, get away with it. But the human being with complex desires, there's always the desire that most of us have to be appreciated, to be recognized. And so when you hang out socially, the, the greatest thing you've ever done is something that you can't tell anyone because of the implications of telling people. 
some people don't have that restraint. So there are all these stories of somebody in a bar telling a stranger the details of the crime that they did. There, you know, a lot of police work now, I get the impression, happens on the internet. Let's just look at social media and see these people posting, um, you know, here's me with all of my money, and then out the window, uh, it says Shake Shack. Ah, okay, that narrows it down to a number of locations in the city. And so, so there are a number of, uh, one of the ways of catching criminals is there is that, I don't want to be seen, but I do want to be seen. And that bundle of desire that leads to bad choices, it creates this, this weird thing. Now, now, you and your own life may not be somebody that oversteps, you know, the laws of the, of the city or the state. But there's something there to say that all of us have these desires, these things that we want, and they're in conflict and they're in tension, and we often make compromises. And so there is this sense in which, on the one hand, we want to be seen, but on the other hand, all of us somewhere don't want to be seen. And so Jesus comes and says, come into the light. He's good, he's gracious, and there's something attractive that we want. There's also something scary and intimidating. Jesus is saying, to the degree that we have a guilty conscience, are my works evil? <laughs> then actually I'm not drawn to the light. The, the darkness is something I may not like, but, it, but it's useful in my life. The darkness is useful because it keeps the thing that I don't want to deal with from being dealt with. And what Jesus is saying is, but I'm coming to deal with it. Uh, graciously, gently, it requires faith, it requires trust, but we get anxious. And so, uh, Nicodemus is an interesting example. If you grew up in the Christian church, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Uh, what's the type there? He's one of the terrible people. Jesus hated the Pharisees. Uh, and there's a lot of conflict with the Pharisees, but, you know, the majority of the New Testament books was written by Paul. Okay, he's no longer Saul, the Pharisee, but... He was. And so even the Pharisees can be redeemed. For a Christian, it's kind of like, wow, the Pharisee could be redeemed. In the first century, the Pharisee was the, uh, you know, Nicodemus is well-educated. Nicodemus has kind of political standing. He's part of this council. Nicodemus uh, has religious discipline. He's, he's part of that scribal group. Um, Nicodemus is moral and ethical. He's, he's got it together. He's the kind of person people would admire. Now, a first century religious environment is different from New York, but you could think of the analogies of who in New York really has it together and, and is, you know, is successful and bright and all of these attributes. Nicodemus would have represented that. And Nicodemus comes and he's saying, we see the work of God in you. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you don't. Um, for the reader, it's kind of, not, oh, I'm glad the Pharisee is getting his due. Sure, there's always room for that in one of your quiet times. But I do think part of it is, uh, boy, if Nicodemus can't see it, Jesus says, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Uh, what about us? If he can't see it, if he can't understand it, there's something here that's, that's a bit of a problem. And so um, Jesus says in verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, what does it mean to not be able to see the kingdom of God? Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here's Nicodemus, who John presents as a pretty honorable person. Nicodemus, you can't see it. You can't enter on your own. 
And so we find there's confusion, as often happens in Jesus' interactions. Nicodemus doesn't understand. So he's, he says, unless you're born again, and it's a modern translator, should it be born again or born from above? Jesus is talking about descending and ascending. What is he talking about? Nicodemus takes it as, are you saying I need to enter my mother's womb a second time? He takes it as, you're asking, saying I should be born again. And it's another incident like last week. Jesus says, destroy this temple. I will rebuild it in three days. They think this guy's going to destroy the temple? No, he's talking about his body. And so John tells us after the resurrection, this is from chapter uh, two, after the resurrection, we remembered what Jesus said and we understood the scripture and what he had taught. Uh, the entire ministry of Jesus, he's not being understood. There's something that, that nobody yet gets. And so he says, you must be born again. And immediately Nicodemus misunderstands. What, what are you saying? And it's, it's that issue that, that shows that we, we need help. We don't get it. Um, there's a culpability component to it. Uh, Jesus says it's not simply that, that you can't see, but it's, there, there's something about loving the darkness because it, it's providing a problematic role in your life. Jesus is saying, don't settle for that. There, there's an alternative, but, but you're going to need to let me in. You're going to need to open up. We're going to need to interact about this. So that leads to a second thing. So there is culpability. We have a problem, but it's a problem that we have a certain responsibility for. It's not simply that we're ignorant. Jesus is saying there's a, a problem that we're stuck in. Um, that problem creates this inability. So that's what I'm going to talk about now, where Jesus uh, gives another set of metaphors or different images to help us understand how stuck we are. So in verses 12 and 13, he says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so this, you know, right there, heaven, oh, you know, where are the heavens? There are the clouds above. And so you're from another place. Is that where the heaven is? Well, not really, it's not above. I mean, now we know about the globe being uh, round. And so at certain times of the day, maybe things, things below at six in the afternoon, but at six in the morning, it's things above. He's not talking about a place. He's talking about, what is he talking about? He's talking about heavenly things, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven. So here's Nicodemus, made it pretty high up the religious ladder. Nobody's gotten so high they could tell you what God is like, um, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I can come and speak to you about things that you don't understand. It's going to require faith. And none of you on your own are going to grasp this. And so that's where we're kind of stuck. We don't see it. We don't grasp it. And you could imagine a kind of dialogue Jesus would have, certainly with a modern person, where choice is so essential. One of the things for us, wait, inability, does that mean that I don't make my own choices? Well, of course we do. We make lots of choices. Um, Jesus seems to be saying that the, that the choice to enter the kingdom is, is one that you don't really grasp why you can't make it. So let's, let's talk about choices. So the family you're in, why did you choose that family? You mean choose my family? I don't choose my siblings. Maybe your parents made a choice about it. Well, don't worry about your siblings. What about your parents? Why them as opposed to other parents? Well, uh, why did you choose to be born where you were born? The location, the country, why that? Why the time period? Why be born when you were born rather than a different time period? You know, well, I wanna choose what I wear and I wanna choose what I do for a living and I wanna choose what I read and what music I listen to. Those are valuable choices. Well, actually, to set yourself up well, if you could choose the right parents and the right location, that, that, those actually would be the more valuable choices you can make and then not worry about so much what you wear. Um, 
but we don't make those choices. Do you want to live? Do you not want to live? Life was given to you. Uh, you weren't asked and then received it. So there's this weird reality that as living beings, um, we're already in the world uh, placed here. And he uses that birthing analogy to say, there's a spiritual reality that you can't achieve, you can't attain, you can't figure it out. And now he's going to talk about earthly things. So, so consider the very life that you're in, the place you're in, the time that you're in. It's not that you don't have real choices. It's not that you have no control over your life. But, but the most basic things uh, are things that you receive. It's not, do I want to live? But if I've been entrusted with this life, how do I live it? I don't know exactly how that all winds up, but Jesus seems to be saying, if you're talking about spiritual life, you don't get it in your yoga class or through adding two more hours to your quiet time. Um, it's something that, that is given to you by God. You, you, can't, you can't earn God's favor. You can't make it happen. That's really hard for us to grasp. And so in verse 3, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. We're human beings. We could figure out life in the world. You have some control, maybe, over the next meal you'll have. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so the question is, can we have the spiritual life that John promises um, by learning enough, studying enough, conforming in a religious way, being uh, a person of standing? And Jesus is saying that's a whole different way of working. And so there's this birthing imagery that is tied to this wind imagery in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and so the wind makes sense if you were thinking about spirit. God's breath is a biblical image. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And so look, modern science, there's a lot we understand about the wind, but you can't see it. I mean, you could know it's windy if you see leaves blowing around. You see the leaves, not the wind. You can't grasp it. You could feel its sensation on your skin. You could hear it. Um, it would be weird to not believe in the existence of wind, but it would also be weird as an individual to think that you can summon up wind or you could stop the hurricane that's coming. There's something here that highlights um, that part of being a human being. There's a vulnerability. There are things that we can't control. There are things that we can't understand. And so this life that Jesus talks about, whatever it is, if we understood it, we would want it. And Jesus is saying, and yet you don't understand it, and yet you also couldn't necessarily get it for yourself if you wanted. Um, and so, so the topic that's introduced here, the theological term we use is regeneration, being made new, this new spiritual birth, a birth from above. Jesus is talking about that possibility, but, but by analogy, he's saying, but you can't just get it because you're interested in it. You can't try it out like it's a car. I mean, let's try life out and maybe I'll move on to the next thing. Um, there's something that, that makes us dependent on God. And so, so where this is hard is for anyone who is thinking, but I actually, I do want a life that's meaningful. I do want to honor God. I am willing to engage with Jesus. All of those things are good. The message is not, don't bother. It's predetermined in some deterministic way to say that, you know, you'll know if you're currently not interested, you're not interested, or if you are interested, you are, and that's the end of it. We're dealing here with things we don't know, and yet ultimately, in our helplessness, it requires a certain humility, a certain coming near. And so Jesus says you could see when the, when the wind is, is blowing, in a sense, you could kind of see it in Nicodemus's life. So Jesus is being clear with him that 
He doesn't yet get it, but, but it looks like God is drawing Nicodemus near. We don't know that. But so you look in your own life and, you know, why are you at church today? Um, what is it about Christianity that could be interesting? Jesus seems to be saying, on your own, you're not going to be drawn to it. Is God showing you things where you're feeling like, actually, I am wanting to figure something out. I am being drawn. And that could be true if you're not Christian, but it certainly is true of those of you who are Christian. How do you know what God is doing? Well, God is at work in the lives of his people. We can't control his work, but we could be watchful. We could be in tune with what he's doing. And so, so the question for us is not, how do I achieve this life? How do I get it? How do I get God to give it to me? We're watching, is God going to give me this life? And if so, it's not how do I get it, but what do I do with it? <laughs> if God is at work, if God is showing me things, if God is announcing grace and forgiveness, if God is teaching us things, will we humbly listen? Will we receive it? Will we believe? And we're encouraged that you should. You may feel helpless. This message may feel helpless, but, but that's where belief is so important in this passage and in John's gospel, that if we're helpless, we need to trust the one who promises to help. So if you feel unable, if you feel culpable, if you feel stuck, Jesus is saying, it's okay. It's actually in some ways, depending on where you're at, it could be helpful to grasp that. But Jesus is not coming to say, you're stuck. He's not coming to condemn. He's coming to invite you to follow him. Um, and so, so that's where faith comes in. That faith is a way of, of receiving, of, of reaching true humility, of trusting that there's something bigger here that I don't understand, so I need a teacher. There's something more than I could accomplish, and so I know need somebody to give it to me. And that's where <clears throat> the last thing I'm going to talk about, this possibility, uh, is central. Jesus is not here to humiliate Nicodemus or to, to send any, us, any of us away in despair. He's trying to show us there's more than just the superficial things that human beings could do on their own. Uh, but it has to be that God is going to give it to you. So in verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's something wonderful but uncomfortable about the word saved. And it's uncomfortable if we feel like we're okay or if we want to believe we're okay. But it's when we have that inability and we start to say, wait a second, I have no idea. I no longer feel like I could do the most important questions in life I can't answer. The most, the things that require the greatest competency and decisions and control, I can't do. Jesus says, well, I haven't come to condemn, I've come to save. And so if your concern is dealing with the issue, the word save is quite a good word. It's quite a helpful word. It's quite a, an encouraging word. And so here's an image that he gives us in verse 14. What is it like when Jesus comes to save? Well, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's how he refers to himself. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So there it is. You can receive by faith. You can have eternal life. How? Well, he picks this interesting story from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. And I'm, I'm going to take the imagery of this passage and now apply it in a way that the passage is not meant to. So I'm, I'm, I'm using the birthing imagery, and so this is not what John is saying, and feel free if, if this sounds like a, a weird analogy to just dismiss it. But as I was thinking about you know, the story of God's people as it relates to thinking about birth this week, you know, the book of Exodus, people are brought out, and, and 
And in a sense, that's when they're given life. That's when they're a people. That's when Israel becomes God's son, in a sense. And then there's the promise that starts to be realized in the book of Joshua that they will make their way into the land. Uh, but the rest of Exodus, the book of Numbers, um, it's this in-between period, and, and here's my imaginings. Um, you know, a fetus is alive, has a heartbeat, has functionings, is, and yet not yet born. There's something about the, the wilderness wanderings. They've been brought out and they've been given life, but they're not yet in the land. And so can, can a baby see? Can a baby hear? Does a baby eat? Well, the fetus is a living human being. Um, what does it see? Well, maybe if you put a, a light on the stomach, it sees something red and white, and does it hear anything? It hears a lot of blood swishing around. Maybe hears a heartbeat. And some people then, not knowing what to do, think on their own, they decide to be drummers. But, uh, but somewhere in that, that history, oh yeah, those good days when I was warm and comfortable. I just, there's something there. I heard something. But it's different. It's different than the way that we see. It's different than, than the way we experience. There's something about Nicodemus coming at night where, where he's, he's beginning to get life, but Jesus is saying, but, but you're, not, you're not there yet. There's something in the story of God's people that, that they're brought out and given life, but they never wind up making it in. Moses, Miriam, Aaron, nearly that whole generation winds up dying in the wilderness, except for maybe Joshua, Caleb, a few exceptions to keep the story going. There's something tragic about this story that they don't really see and they don't understand. And what they wind up doing is grumbling against God and his servant Moses. So Numbers 21 is one of those grumbling moments. And they're grumbling and they're complaining. Perfect story for Halloween weekend. Fiery serpents come out and attack them. That's a strange story. Uh, they did not think it was entertaining like it was horror film. They thought it was terrifying. And so they went from complaining to God, you're not providing enough food, uh, things are not as comfortable as we would like, now all of a sudden we're overwhelmed with the reality of death, save us. So God tells the servant they were complaining about, uh, fashion a serpent of bronze, put it on a stick, lift it up, and people who look to that will be healed. So if you work for a medical institution that has some kind of serpent on a pole in the logo, that shows up in modern healing imagery. There it was, if you look at the serpent, what a weird, how does that work? How is it that if we look at that serpent, if this serpent here bites us, the poison won't kill us? And that's the kind of thing we don't know. God says, but when Moses lifted up the serpent, healing came to his people. So Jesus comes in now and says, I've not come to condemn, but you're already under judgment. But when I, the son of man, are lifted up, well then, that will be for the healing of the people. How does that work? Uh, Jesus says, you're not really going to understand if I tell you about heavenly things. But here's the thing. I've been sent into the world. While you're trying to ascend to the greatness of humanity, I'm the one who descended. And I'm going to be lifted up. But before I'm lifted up to the heavenly realms to pour out the Spirit, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And I'm going to bear the con condemnation that you are under. I'm going to suffer the judgment that you are afraid of. I am claiming I'm the light of the world, but I will be the one who enters darkness. And how does this work? I don't know, but God says, but if you look at Jesus lifted up on the cross, you'll be healed. And so how do we understand it? Jesus says, well, if you don't understand it, believe enough to keep listening, to keep watching, to keep learning. God's trying to show you things. He doesn't want you to be stuck. God doesn't want to condemn you. God wants you to come and have life in his name. 
And here's how he did it. I don't know how it works, but it's remarkable that he's the one who bears the cost. And so what becomes one of the most famous verses in the Bible for good reason, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We don't have the ability to get it on our own. In fact, the more that we try, the more we're going to dig a hole. Um, but God has the ability to give it to us. And this verse stands out uh, as one of the uh, first verses that one would memorize for good reasons. Here's two things. One is God loves. And the second is God gives. So what is it that's different about Nicodemus who really learned? And so he has all the facts. He has all the answers. He understands the complexity of the problem. What is it about Nicodemus who really was a, a religious devoted person in the practices of his day? What is it about Nicodemus that was moral and ethical? He worked out the, the law in detail. What is it about uh, Nicodemus that he had kind of political power, that he was part of this council? Um, all of these things in him showed that he was great as a human being. But the question is, do you love God? And Jesus is saying, as I draw near to you, what comes out is that, that you don't really and fully. Do you love your neighbor? Not really. But here's Jesus' message. But, but now the Son of God has descended and he has loved you. And that's what's going to change us. It's not going to be more study. It's not going to be more ethical restraint. It's not going to be um, more religious devotional practices. Human beings can do that. It's going to be the love of God coming into our lives to transform us. God gives us something. And it's when we receive it that then this new life begins. It's like being born from above. There's something to say, wait a second, I don't need to keep reaching higher, I don't need to keep grasping. God has come down into my life so that I could then cautiously step out of the darkness into the light. It's that life-giving reality. And the story of Nic Nicodemus is interesting because he was, I think, by, certainly by his standards, but by our standards. If you, if you get rid of sort of law, temple, those things, and if you just think highly educated, highly moral, kind of successful, he seems also like a sincere guy. We see him three times in the whole of the Bible, as far as I'm aware, all three in John. We see him here, and he comes, and he seems to communicate to Jesus, we're recognizing God's work in your life. We're recognizing God is at work. He's starting to see. We meet him again later. I think it's the end of John 7. The council meets, and now people are starting to believe, and they're, they're losing control. What do we do? And Nicodemus is like, well, let's hold to the law. Let's not judge him yet, but let's be open to maybe that this is the one God has sent. The next time we meet Nicodemus is in John 20, where Jesus will descend. He was lifted up on the cross, um, but now he's dead. And there's this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who has a tomb in a garden. Not going to take any time there, but think about John beginning with Genesis themes, Jesus being in a garden. Now Nicodemus comes to, with Joseph, a lot of ointment to anoint his body with oil. So there he is, he, he stayed with Jesus. He didn't just walk away, but he, he kept showing up. So, so as Jesus is coming down from the cross, descending to the grave, Nicodemus is there. What a, what a great human being. We don't know what he was thinking at the time. He might have thought, here's a guy that went astray. Here's a guy that didn't really fully understand. If this guy would have done things differently, it could have worked out differently. Maybe he thought, I believe he's the son of God. We don't know what Nicodemus was thinking, but as a human being, he showed up so that 
Jesus's life would not end in humiliation, but he would receive a proper burial. Nicodemus could do that. A bright, hardworking human being. That's, that's the best of humanity. You could show up and honor this dead guy. What could Nicodemus do to give life to Jesus? What could Joseph do? What could his disciples do? It was only what the Spirit of God could do. And when Jesus comes out of the tomb, it's not because any person did anything for him. It's because of the power of the life-giving God. And so Nicodemus, what a great guy. But he was not going to give anybody life from the dead. But if he stayed with Jesus and saw that the one who had descended was now going to ascend into the heavens to pour out the Spirit to come down to give us life so that we can ascend out of this broken, dark world in which we live and find what it really means to be a great human being, that's a whole different story. So verse 21 says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's really hard for us to understand. However, we free human beings, we make choices, and yet ultimately it's the will of God. Thousands of pages of theology on that. I think what you need to know this week is there's something actually quite freeing to realize I actually don't need to achieve it. I don't need to earn it. I don't need to convince God. I don't need to fool anybody. Um, if God's spirit is coming into my life, if God is showing me things, if God is opening doors, the answer is not, can I keep the commandments? The answer is not, can I get involved in church? The answer is, do I love God? Well, I love my neighbor. And for that to happen, you need to understand that God first loved you and he gives you life. And when you have that life, then, then there's a freedom to realize I don't need to keep his commandments to prove anything. I need to learn them to understand what pleases God. There's a whole reorientation. It's not that you have to come to church. The thing is, why would you not? God invites you. Come, be part of a community. Encourage one another in life. Um, God loves us, so he gave his only son. Whoever believes would not perish, but have life in his name. If you're here today, Take a step closer, learn more of the ways of Jesus, but, but, but receive what he gives you, um, and then live out of that, figure out how to apply that this week. Let me pray for us. Our Father, this is a hard passage, and we, we need help. Lord, I don't know that anybody here uh, in our hearts and minds would not want what you are offering, but we're confused about it. Um, we need help. And so, Lord, where, wherever any of us is at, we pray for that gracious working of your spirit to give us new life, to open our eyes, to be our teacher, and to set us free so that understanding your great love for us would be transformative so that we would not settle for hypocrisy, we would not settle for um, a satisfying exterior life, but that we would step out into the light of your grace and experience renewal. And so, Lord, we can't make you do it, but we, uh, we know that you're a generous and kind God. So we're here and we just ask, do that work in our community, do that work in our hearts and minds, and uh, plant deep roots of your spirit in us that we would become more like Jesus, that we would really come to see the greatness of this life that you give us. We thank you and pray this in his name. Amen.